0: Blog Talk Radio. Today it's 0, 0600 hours Eastern, ten hundred Greenwich, this is Rudder Radio, your guide to thrive in any economy. I am William Eastman, Managing Partner for Applied Knowledge Labs, a North American small business product and research company, and I'm your host for the next 30 minutes. Today's show is on Stage 3, The Next Act. Uh, You can join us, one, by clicking chat at blogtalkradio.com slash the rudder, T-H-E hyphen R-U-T-T-E-R, or dialing in and talking directly and joining the show at 347-215-7471. Today's format uh, for our show is number one we're going to talk about the, do a quick review of the growth stages, all six of them and then come back to the focus of today, which is stage three or halfway through we're going to talk about the critical issues of the of stage three, which is uh, better known as catching your breath what now what next we're going to talk about what is the owner's role now in a major transition point in the growth of the firm and how can you avoid uh, what is commonly known as the founder trap, and, and then what are the processes and systems that the owner needs to focus on to make sure that are in place so that they can grow the firm, and finally, what are some of the failure points to avoid? Okay, so a quick review, let's just kind of go through the numbers here of what we've discussed in the past over the last two weeks. Uh, Growth stage one is dream the plan, and that is all your, your pre work. You're identifying where in the market are the unmet needs or undermet needs of customers, customers that you want to have, customers that your products or services will fit, um, and those customers who have the economic ability in this current economy to pay you. What is the brand? What is your brand about? What's the identity you want in the marketplace? And what business model are you going to use to get there better, faster, and different? Stage two is sale, sell, sell, known as go live. But stage two is that point where you open the doors, where the doors are online, face-to-face, or storefront, where you start selling. And the goal of this stage is pretty simple. You need to get sufficient and predictable cash flow so that you can prove the business idea and you have money to reinvest in the firm so you can take the lessons learned in this second stage to really begin to turn it into a business operation. Stage three, which is the focus of today, is the next act where you reevaluate everything that you've done up till now. You make some decisions about now, given that you understand the marketplace much better than you did before. What is it that you want to do to grow the firm, and what do you need to get there? Stage four, which is tomorrow's show is big fast, it is the hockey stick. And this is when you get your first spurt where you grow to capacity. You build capacity in the organization, whether that's sales, production, and even if you're a service company, it's still the processes you do, you use to provide the service. And the issue is people. Typically, this is when the hiring starts. Once you have achieved whatever growth is ca- what if growth is possible? Stage five is the stable phase where you begin to take out profits. You look to more systematize the business policies and procedures. And then this is when you're at a decision point. Um, decision point one would be, do you want to sell the firm? Because it's never going to be worth more than it is right now. Number two is you can kind of sit back and let the firm kind of, kind of um, move along. And I can tell you as all things in nature. You're either growing or shrinking, and uh, if you're doing nothing, then you're probably moving into some sort of decline, and the value of the business is going down. Or the third option, and the one that we're going to push and the one that we're going to talk about in a couple days, is that you can reinvent the firm. And that gets us to stage six the reinvention. How do you make innovation part of the firm? How do you address all your product and service issues? How do you either improve those or come out with new products and services? and how do you get your customers, suppliers, and outside subject matter experts involved in that. So those are the six stages. We are at stage three, and that is the critical issues um, for the firm. Okay, so let's start here. What are the critical issues when you get to stage three? Well, you've just gone through a, a period of time when you're under a great deal of stress and duress. You've got to sell because without cash, the business is dead. It's kind of like an infant. Without milk, without formula, it's not going to thrive. It's not going to survive. So now that you catch your breath and say, okay, now what do we do? Well, first of all, you want to reevaluate where you thought competitive advantage was. And again, competitive advantage is nothing more than where are their unmet needs in the market? Where where are their customers who have the financial wherewithal? who are part of the people that you want to service, you want to sell products to, you want to service. And how well did you capture it in your early research? How close to the mark were you? Because if you were struggling in sales, you typically find it's one of three issues. Issue number one is you've got the wrong customers. You're selling to the wrong group of people. Number two is you have the wrong product to service. You may be selling to the right people, but you're selling the wrong thing. Or number three is that what's your message? Because somehow you may have the right customers and the right offer, but your messaging is off. And these are things that you would have learned in stage two as you kind of adapted. And what happens at stage two, by the way, that we didn't discuss on Friday, is that in stage two, as a business owner, you're going to be exceedingly opportunistic in that you're going to sell anything to anybody because what you need is cash. At this stage, at stage three, you move from be an opportunistic to what is called planned opportunism. In other words, you're drawing a more clearly defined uh, set of boundaries around the business to be able to identify what business you should pursue and what business you shouldn't. And so that's what you're doing when you reevaluate your competitive advantage. You reevaluate the business model. Is your business model giving you a competitive advantage out there? In other words, Can you sell and sell at a competitive price and still make the necessary margin? Have you taken into account um, how the distribution channels work? Um, Have you taken into account how customers are buying? And also, you're taking a look at your brand identity. You said that the company is about X. Is that, in fact, what the company is about? And this is probably the period of the greatest adjustment to the brand identity. Uh, that you're going to have. So you're going to take a look at all these things and reevaluate them. And it's almost like going back to stage one in some ways, except the differences in stage one, no matter how much market research you do, no matter how much knowledge you have about the marketplace you're in, you made a lot of assumptions. Stage two, prove those assumptions right or prove them wrong. In stage three, what you're trying to do is eliminate as many assumptions as possible and make your decisions based upon data either data collected through research again or data collected from real-time experience. The issue now for you is make a decision on growth, okay? How much with whom? How big do you want to get the company in this state, next stage? How much can you afford? And so you need to determine what those growth targets are. Then, and this is kind of iterative in that you'll probably think this through more than once, if you make those, if you set those growth targets, then the next thing is to, is to determine how much do you have to up, upgrade the organization, how much do you have to increase the capacity. And typically, what you look at is in three areas. You take a look at the product. How much do we need to invest anything into either how we build the products? And you know, you think about a factory when you think about building. Do we need more assembly lines? Do we need more equipment? Or number two is if it's in the area of service, what do we need to upgrade, for example, our computer systems so that we can better service customers. And then finally, number three is to take a look at people because typically this is a period when you begin to really think about who to hire, how to hire. And so determine what those capacity requirements are in those three areas and then basically say to yourself, okay, how much budget Do I have? How much can I allocate? And then make the decision about what parts of the business to upgrade. So those are the critical issues in stage three. Because if you don't pursue these, what will happen is if you continue stage two, you're going to find yourself in a position of what's known as the founder trap. And what the founder trap is in most businesses that have been highly successful is this: is that the reason that you've been successful so far are all those personality characteristics, those quirks that make all of us up because all businesses in these stages are extension of the owners and extension of the personalities. And so what happens is the reason you were successful is now it could be the reason that you're not successful. And so you have to say to yourself, gee, I don't do that very well. Can I get some people in here to begin to handle that? Because if you look at your previous role in, in Stage 2, you were very active. You were very hands-on. You were actively involved in sales, either as the primary salesperson or you were used as the deal closer. Because as we talked about in Stage 2, is the if you're a brand-new business Uh, You're asking customers to take a risk with a company that does not have a track record. It may not stay in business. How do you make a sale to somebody, and how do you get them to take the risk? Well, you get them to take the risk because they know the owner, they've met you, they've talked to you, and you have that personal relationship. And so those are the issues that we're going to address in this stage. Now, since we've been talking about the owner's role, let's move on. What's the owner's role in Stage 3, the next act? Well, this is a period of the first significant change, and what I mean is plan change. In stage two, you, you probably were going through changes every day, but there were reactive changes. You were taking a look at what happened. Something wasn't selling. Something was selling. You did more of that. There was a market that you uh, underestimated in terms of difficulty to get into, and so you had to put more energy into it, or you even abandoned it. There was an industry that you didn't see or a group of customers that you didn't originally see. Now you've gone in there, and that's that opportunism, which is always very reactive, and there's nothing wrong with that. But now is a period of time to say, okay, let's begin to put some boundaries around this box. And the changes that we're going to propose in this stage are changes that I'm going to have the ability to think through and plan and be proactive about, not only from the lessons I've just learned, but from where I want to take the company. The next thing I want to do here. Is And part of that change, excuse me, is that focus on processes and a focus on people. Since you've been actively involved in the sales process, what about the sales process? What worked? What didn't? And typically, there's not much mapped out. Even if you wrote it down on a piece of paper, that's probably as far as you've gone. What you now want to do is you want to commission people in the organization, and I am assuming that you are not alone. If you're alone, you're going to do this yourself. But if you're not alone and you've got people working in the firm, what you're going to do now is you're going to say to people in sales, all right, what were the best practices? What did we learn? What worked for us? And how do we, do, how do, on the sales process, how do we, as we talked about last week, how do we increase the ratio? from the number of leads that come into the system to the number of sales and and bring that ratio uh, basically down. As I talked about last week, in my industry, that ratio is typically 100 to 1. 100 leads leads to one contract by the time you get through the process. Well, I'd much rather that to be 90 to 1 or 80 to 1 because that has an incredible impact on my cash flow. Same thing on the production side is that more than likely how we make or deliver the service has been kind of handled has been handled as it's been handled. I want to now say to the people engaged in that part of it, assuming that there are, if not, and if it's you, um, then you're going to say to yourself, okay, on the process side, what did I learn? What was the best way to make this so it was done the fastest with the highest quality so I had the fewest returns, the fewest complaints, and most importantly, I begin to see some margins on it. Also, the focus on people is this. I've got to change my role in the firm now. This is a big, significant change. I've been managing everything. I've been running a system where basically I am the spoke. I mean, excuse me, I am the hub, and everything in the firm are spokes. I no longer can do that because very quickly, it's going to get beyond my capacity. So if you haven't hired anybody, you've got to hire somebody now because if you're going to try to go after a hockey stick and growth, which is the next stage, You're not going to do that alone. It is impossible. And whether you hire people or you outsource and you bring people under 1099 contracts, it does not matter. The deal here is that I need to focus on people because you can no longer directly supervise. You're going to need to bring in some intermediate levels of the organization. Somebody is going to have to come in and run sales, though you're still going to be actively involved in it more of the role of the deal maker and the same on process is that if you probably were intimately involved to make sure stuff got out the door in time or, or phones were returned or customers were serviced the way that we had promised you now need somebody in charge of that that you can talk to so your management of the firm changes from direct supervision and telling people what to do to making sure that the people that somebody is managing the processes and what you manage is how they manage the processes. And so you're still in a very effective control position, but also is that you're in a control system that you can manage. And one of the things about control, and I encounter this all the time with business owners, is that they feel like they're losing control and the answer is you're not. What is happening is you're changing the nature of how you control the business to fit the situation and your control systems are becoming much more sophisticated. By managing processes, you can manage far more than if you are the leader in charge and you tell everybody what to do. So, and then the last one is you're going to begin to bring people on board if you're going to grow. So you want to take a look at how you hire and how you promote. Uh, The recommendation here would be to, if you've got a staff of people working for you, my assumption is that you do, you may want to take somebody who's in sales and promote somebody to manage sales or you may want to bring somebody from the outside that's got expertise. I can't tell you exactly what the right answer is except be open to all of those options. Sometimes the people that you hire early on are highly talented and they see the opportunities that you offer and they see the chance for the business to grow and what they're willing to do is come in and do the work but really they're going to be effective managers. Other times. You bring in people who to start off in the business because you can't pay much. There's not much you can offer. You probably, if you were smart, you have not offered any piece of the business as of yet. And so these people may not be good management materials, so you may have to bring in outsiders. But not only do you want to begin to think about that, you want to think about what is the process for doing it. And I would treat the process of hiring, of selecting and hiring people or promoting them just like I would sales, just like I would production. So, those are the roles and where a lot of owners get themselves in trouble and where the failure points, which we're going to get to in a second, the failure points in most businesses is that owners can't make the transition. Okay, so let me stop right here. We are now 17 minutes into the show, and I just want to remind everybody how to participate on Rudder Radio. You can join us in the chat area by uh, typing in blog talk radio dot com slash the t h e dash r u t t e r it's right on the uh, my front show page click and come in and join the conversation or what you can do is you can dial in and get us direct at 347-215-7471. and of course also on our page is our blog and what the blog we've been using, my Rudder blog, is simply a place for the moment that we've been posting show notes. So at the end of every day, you can come in and find out what we did the day prior. Okay, so that's where we stand. Now, let's take on to the next issue, the owner focus. If those are the roles of the owner, where should be concentrating your energy? Well, there are four areas. Uh, And they should make perfect sense to you. Only one of them we haven't talked about yet. Um, Number one is look at the process for how you make what you sell or how you provide services, or if you do both, then both. But what you need to do for the first time in the history of the company now is to codify what the production or execution service delivery process is. And that's what we talked about prior, is to get the people doing the work together, say, what have we learned about it? You chair those meetings, or if you've got a manager, have the manager chair those meetings and say, okay, let's map out what we're going to do and get people to commit now that this is the way that we're going to do it. And it's essential for a couple reasons, because instead of going down to every person and find out what's going on, you can then say, how well are we doing in the process? Um, the second part focus is on the selection of people, suppliers, and partners. Up till now, you've been doing it as a grab bag, and that is okay. Up till now, it didn't matter because in stage two, if you did not have sales in place, you didn't have a CRM system. You weren't involved in sales. None of this mattered. This was a basically a waste of time. But now that you've proved the concept and you've got enough money that is sufficient and predictable and you have some to reinvest in the firm, now it's, taking, it's time to put into place. This is how we bring people in. This is how we train them into the job. This is how we promote them in the business. And, again, you don't have to do a whole lot here. All I recommend is you map it out and say, here's the process I'm going to use. And it'll be important not only now, but in the next couple stages. The th- third one, which we did not talk about, and you're going to need to get your CPA or your, uh, your comptroller or whoever you're handling outside expertise, is that you need to take a look at these processes to say, how do we assign costs to them? Because the challenge of a business at this point in time is this. There's no way of really accounting for cost. Everything is aggregated. And I encounter this all the time, and this is, becomes, I don't ask this question if a company's not in stage three, but when it's in stage three, I go, who's your most profitable customers? Or what are your most profitable products or your most profitable services? And I can tell you right now, they really can't tell me. What The answer they give me is they give me the client that produces the most revenue or the products that produce the most revenue or the services that produce the most revenue. And I can guarantee you this, they may not be the most profitable. I'm sure you've got customers that spend a lot of money with you and drive you absolutely nuts. And if you were able to capture all the work that you've got to do to service that account or build that part, what you'll find is that sometimes it's the $50,000 account that has the greatest margin than a $100,000 account, even though the revenue is higher. And what that tells you is that maybe the, the plan here is to have less of the $100,000 accounts that are driving you nuts and have more of the $50,000 accounts who have a higher margin because, after all, without margin, there isn't a business if you don't have profits. And so what you want to do is you want to look at for how do you, and, and in the business world, this is, this is called um, managerial, managerial accounting or it is called things like activity-based costing. But what you want to be able to do is look at a cost number and break it down by production, break it down by customer. If you can do that, then you can control your cost, you can control your margin. And when we move into stage four, if you can't do this, then the major failure point for stage four, that uh, big fast, is the destruction of working capital, and this is exactly why it happens. And then finally the last piece of the owner focus is this. And that is creating your first real budget. Making the decision about how you're going to allocate budget, where you're going to put your money, and basically having the confidence that you can assign that. Because the challenge in the earlier stages in stage two, you may come out of stage one with a budget, but until you have cash flow, and I do this myself, if I can't replace money, I don't spend it. And in stage two, that is absolutely appropriate. If you're in stage three, that means that you have sufficient predictable cash flow that you can basically put together a budget. All right, let me now take you to failure points as we begin to wrap up the show, and that is when businesses fail at stage three, why do they fail? Well, okay. They fail, number one, because they did not fix the past. They did not look at their competitive advantage and their customers. They didn't look at the business model they use, and they didn't look at the brand and say, we thought X, we got Y. Why did that happen? And then the second failure point is that they didn't identify the future. Given what we've learned, what do we need to become? And those two things are absolutely important because if you don't do those, then basically you're just going to limp along. And and I shouldn't say limp along. You will go along as you are. And if you're happy where the business is, then stage three is where you're going to stay. Most of the businesses that I encounter who have stayed in business for any period of time are stage three companies. And when we talk next uh, Friday of this week, when we talk about What are the rules of the road? And how do companies go from zero to a billion? There are a lot of companies that spend 10 or 15 years in stage three because either they decide not to grow or they never figure out how to do that. Number three is not understanding the true cost. If you don't understand the true cost, then you can't assign cost appropriately to processes and customers. Then what will happen is that you will not know what your margins are and you're going to find yourself killing your working capital. Number four is becoming a manager. Um, you've got to move out of the road of day-to-day supervision. If you don't, the odds of being successful are very slim, and again, we call that the founder trap. So you need to move more into a managerial role where you're managing people who are managing the things of the business. And then finally, the other failure point is insufficient investment For for your growth targets, you set up a set of growth targets that says, This is where we want to take the company today. Excuse me. This is where we want to take the company, let's say, over the next six months or the next year. You've got to have to be able to fund that with investment. And what I recommend is after you've done all your numbers and you say it's going to cost me X, increase it by 25%. Also, when you assign your budget, only assign your budget for 75% of it. And we'll talk about that as a separate item because that. That is a show unto itself. But if you can do those things, you will avoid the failure points. So let me summarize. Stage three, next act, is you've been through the crucible of sales. You've been, you know, you've been trial by fire. You've learned a lot of things. You knew what you mistakes you made at the beginning. You know what you need to fix. You know where your opportunities lie. You've made some decisions about how you want to grow the firm. You begin to do some hiring, and you change your role, and you begin to get more out of the day-to-day operations and look at yourself as a very limited resource with incredibly high value and you say to yourself, where does my time provide the greatest leverage to the firm? And that's what I need to be looking at every day. And I can only do that if I've got other people working for me who understand what they worth, and that they can do those jobs. And they can do those jobs because we've kind of produced some processes around that and that what you should have in place right now <clears throat> are four processes. You have a production process or a service execution process, depending upon what, what you are selling. You have a process for selecting people, suppliers, and partners. How do you how do you go to market for these people? How do you decide who you want to have? How do you bring them into the firm? How do you get them intelligent about what you're going to be asking them to do? Um, the next process is how do you capture cost? How, how do you account for in the real time what things are costing? Because if you think that your, your accounting system that you currently have is going to do that, you're wrong. Uh, I don't care what software you're using. All it's going to tell you is it's going to give you a retrospective of the past. As a friend of mine once said, is that if you use your financial software, such as QuickBooks, to, to make real-time decisions, you can, number one, you can't. But number two, if you run the business that way, that's like driving by looking through the rearview mirror. And then finally, it's the issue of now getting some experience of putting together budgets and allocating those costs and spending the money and staying top of how those dollars are spent. Okay. So where that leaves us as we approach our bewitching hour here with two minutes left is this first two stages are kind of the shakeout period. Most businesses who are not going to make it are going to fail and they're not going to be where you are at stage three. Stage three is prep for growth. What you're going to build is a growth to capacity, what we call a growth to capacity plan. And that most companies do not fail in stage three, surprisingly, unless they languish here for long periods of time. And then what happens is that you get conflict between the people that you bring into the firm and the people that have been there. You have the challenge of those new people telling you how the company ought to be run and um, creating conflict in the firm and sometimes you're feeling threatened. And so stage three, you can stay in for a long period of time, but I personally would recommend that uh, you get out. So with that, what I want to say to you is this. I want to thank you for listening. Whether you're online with us today, right now, or you've downloaded this, and this is Rudder Radio, your guide to thrive in any economy, brought to you by Applied Knowledge Labs. And we are a North American, um, I would say, a consulting firm in the old days, but we're no longer doing that. We are a business research firm that produces products that produces products that are aimed uh, solely at um, the startup entrepreneur, our client base is between 0 and $50 million uh, in terms of firms. We've worked with companies as small as $300,000 in annual revenue, or we've worked with companies as large as $25 million. And we've used our processes to do anything from help put together growth plans to help two $25 million firms merge. So our products are organizational assessment called Forecast, which will give you a diagnostic. And the way to view that is that if you go to the doctor and say, Doc, I feel fine, but give me a complete checkup, that's what Forecast does. We have a, ne- a series of surveys, and that's the same as if you go to the doctor and say, "You know, I'm having a problem with my knee, so you know what's wrong. And we have a number of surveys in the area of enthusiasm, employee engagement, etc. cetera. So anyway, looking forward to hearing you and seeing you tomorrow, tomorrow morning as we talk about the hockey stick big fast. Thanks for the day and talk to you soon.